Hey, we'll open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. That's where we'll be today. Uh, That song uh, that we just sang, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you, every hour I need you, is certainly apropos for our text today, as we'll see and we get into what God has for us in Genesis chapter 22. I've got a lot to cover, and so we're going to jump right into uh, what it is that we have to see and what we have to to look into there. And so if you see, uh, in your Bible, it may say this, that the, uh, the sacrifice of Isaac is uh, this story today. This is the one I was going to jump to last week and didn't, it did not jump to it. I'm glad we didn't because we need to cover what we did last week, but I'm really uh, thrilled to see what God's going to do with us today. So let's jump in right away. That's what the text says. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the young donkey, And I and the young boy and I will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offerings and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide Said, uh, and it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offering as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring, Shall the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice? So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. After these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, and Cuz, his cousin. No, that's not what it says. (laughs) Kimuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlap, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah, and these, uh, these eight Milcah bore to Nahor, 
Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Remua, bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and somebody else. <laughs> we'll just call it, you make up a name. Whoo! Uh, so there we go. That's our text. Let me pray. God, we love you. We need you. Just like we sang every hour, we need you. And I need you now, God, as uh, I'm about to preach from your word. This is your word. You have preserved this for us for a specific reason. And this time and this place, you've chosen it for Refuge Church. Holy Spirit, use us. Use it uh, to make us more like Jesus and to save someone today. It's our, it's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at a number of things uh, in today's text. Uh, this is what it says in verse 1. After these things, God himself uh, tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And so if you're a writer in your Bible or anything at all like that, uh, you are going to want to underline the word or circle the word tested. God tested Abraham. God did not tempt Abraham. God tested Abraham. To tempt someone is to do this, to entice or attempt to entice someone to, uh, to do or acquire something that they find attractive but know to be wrong or not beneficial. That is to tempt someone to do something wrong or to do something that is not beneficial for them. That is temptation. And so God does not tempt us. You're like, how do you know that, preacher? How do you know God doesn't tempt us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what the scripture says. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. What else you need? Uh, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself, what? Tempts no one. God himself tempts no one. So when you are tempted to sin, whenever you are tempted to do something that is contrary to what it looks like to being a follower of Jesus, whenever you are tempted to do something you know you shouldn't do, that is not from God. You can know that that is from your enemy. That is either from your enemy or from your own flesh that is causing you to do things. God is not tempting you to do something that is evil. So verse one tells us that God tested Abraham. Say tested. Yeah, God tested Abraham. God is the source of tests, and God gets blamed a lot for being for us in the in the bad things that we do. But He is only tempts He only tests us and not tempts us. Just be aware that temptations and trials will look sometimes a lot alike. And the purpose of a test in your life uh, is uh, is that both. Uh, the, uh, whether or not we are to learn, whether or not we are listening and learning anything from what we're learning about God so that we'll learn more about him so that we'll learn more about who he is, what his character is. That's why we get, uh, tested temptations, draw us to do something that we shouldn't do. Temptations, draw us to sin. Some temptations, draw us to do things contrary to what God would have. So you understand that? Yeah. Some differences. All right, cool. Let's move on. Uh, so we've seen many of these, these tests uh, as we've gone through Genesis, right? As we've gone through Abraham's life, we've seen him do a lot of different things. And, and so uh, in Genesis, God didn't come out to Abraham and say, go slay your boy. That wasn't the first thing he said, right? What he first said was, why don't you go find a new house? And he built from there. That, that's really kind of how this whole thing started. We're, it's where we are today go slay your boy, but he didn't start there. First, he just said, go find a new house. There, there's some things that uh, Abraham did, uh, and some tests that he passed early on in Genesis. Here's, here's the first one, the home test. Remember that whenever uh, uh, they told this, God told this to Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. 
He said, I know you're happy where you are, but I want you to uproot uh, that tree. I want you to uproot your family and, um, and go to a land that I will show you. Did he pass or fail that test? Yeah, he passed that test, right? He got that one right. He did the thing that he was supposed to do. He followed, the, uh, he followed what God had for him, and he passed that test. The next one was this one, the famine test. Let's scurry over to Egypt because, hey, there's not enough food here. And so I know God called me and told me to go here, but I'm going to go somewhere else, and I'm going to make the provision on my own. How did that go for him when he, when he went to Egypt? Was that a pass or a fail? Yeah, that was a fail. Remember, that did not go very well at all uh, for Abraham in, his, uh, in, in what he chose to do. There was another. Here was the flock test. The flock test is Abraham offered the best of his pasture to Lot, and Lot took it. Remember that in the story? Whenever there was their, their flocks became too many, and Abraham looked at Lot, and he said, I'll tell you what, you've got a bunch of flocks, and I've got a bunch of flocks, and we can't all operate here in the same place. What did he do? He said, Lot, you choose what? You remember? I'll just tell you. Yeah, you choose the best. You choose whichever one you want. And Lot looked, he puts his eyes towards Sodom. And he said, this looks really nice and it's very flourishing and there's green land and I'm gonna go over and I'm gonna take that. And Abraham said, well, I'll take whatever's left over. Did Abraham pass or fail that test? Yeah, he passed that test because he, he did. He let Lot choose what he wanted to do. Then there's a fortune test. If you remember, the king of Sodom, uh, after a while, had come to uh, Abraham and he said, he said, hey, I'm gonna make you rich. I need you to get out of here but I'm going to make you rich. And what, what, did, what did he give Abraham? Gave him all kind of cattle, gave him all kind of riches. Uh, he, he replaced everything that Abraham needed. And so Abraham passed that particular test during that time. And then Abraham had this test, the family test. What was the family test? He's like, Abraham's like, look, I got this. I mean, I got a wife, I know. And, and I, God's told me that I know I'm supposed to have a kid with this, this, uh, with this lady, but I've got to go find, I'm going to do this on my own. And what does he do? Who else is listed up there? Hagar, yeah. He goes to Hagar. And then what, what comes from Hagar? Yeah, Ishmael. So does that get a, a green check or red X? Yeah, red X. That didn't go so well, right? And so we see Abraham passing all these tests and failing all these tests. Uh, <laughs> passing all these tests and failing all these tests somewhere along the way. And you and I have the same kind of thing. We get tested sometimes by God to know what are we going to do? Who are we going to follow? What's going to be the outcome of these kinds of things? Today's test is we call the Isaac test, and that's what we see in Genesis chapter 21. Basically, God says, go sacrifice your son, Isaac. Now, Isaac was no child. This is not like a four-year-old where he could hold him down and just do with him what he wanted to. Uh, most commentators will tell you that Isaac was somewhere between 14 and 22 years old uh, at this point. And co so you can imagine the pain that Abraham endured whenever he was told to go sacrifice your son. Now, when I read this, I always think about Drew. Drew, stand up. So this is my uh, 15-year-old son, Drew. And so you, you can imagine what it's like. And the, hey, think about yourself. I mean, put yourself, you can sit down. Uh, think about that for your own self to go, hey, I'm gonna, God just told me to go sacrifice my son. God just told me to go kill my son. God told me to go sacrifice him on an altar. And can you imagine the pain that Abraham had to be in at the time to go, I, I, don't, know, I don't know if I can do this. I, I don't know 
If I could look what the text says, it says in verse two, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place that God had told him. Now, if this is me and I, if I even agree to start this process, uh, I don't play it like Abraham did. I, I slow play it. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I slow play getting about this business that God's called me to do. How many people struggle to get out of beds in the morning? Everybody in my house, raise your hand. Yeah, most, a lot of people struggle to get out of bed in the mornings. Uh, but how difficult would it be to get out of bed in the morning of the morning that you know that you're supposed to go and butcher your teenage son? How difficult would it be to roll out of bed that particular morning? I mean, I'd, again, I'd slow play it. I'd hit the snooze button. I'd pull the covers over my head. I would, if I was even going to go, I could probably find a way to talk myself out of going. But what does the text say here in 23? It says that Abraham rose early in the morning. When the sun came up, Abraham got up. He rose early in the morning. He cut the, wood, uh, cut the wood for the burnt offering that he would sacrifice his son, and he set out. Abraham was being obedient to God. Three things that he didn't do that many times I'll do or maybe some of you do one, he didn't divert his attention to something else. He didn't go, you know what, I, I got other things that I got to do. I, I've got to get things get up. I know God's called me to do this other thing, but I'm going to go do my own thing. I've got things that are going to keep me from doing the very thing that God calls me to do. So many times, uh, we'll divert our own attention, but Abraham didn't divert his attention. He didn't delay his actions. Many times when God calls us to do something, what do we do? Put it off. Yeah, we slow play it. We delay we, wait, we just wait. We'll, we'll do that later. He didn't delay his actions at all. He didn't divert his attention. He didn't delay his actions. And he didn't dismiss what he was called to do. He didn't dismiss what he was called to do. He got up and got after it. Three days later, this is what happened. Look what it says in verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So can you imagine Abraham saying this? I mean, Abraham knew what God had told him to do. It was to go and sacrifice your son. And this is one of those things that, you know, as I've told you, my mind kind of works kind of weird and strange things whenever I hear things and read things. And uh, this would be one of those extremely emotional times if, say, you were watching this on a big screen. If you're watching a movie and this happened, and, and like Abraham would say to the other young man who came to them, he would like, stay here with the donkey. And then he'd probably turn and there'd be another camera shot. And his lip would be quivering. It'd be like, I and the boy will go over and worship, and then we'll come again to you. There'd be some big music playing in the background. You, you get the picture? That's what it would be like if it were a movie screen, but this was real. This was the movie. This is the real thing that was happening. And here, so here, he's got some options at this point. His options are, he's got a chance to back out, right? He, he could have still backed out at this point. He's got a chance to give in to his own fears, and he's got a chance to go his own way. 
So, so that, that's one way he could have done. Or the second way, here's his chance to be obedient. And here's his chance to trust God like never before. Here's his chance to see God do great and mighty things that he believed that he could, that he believed that he would. You know, we get those kind of same opportunities. I wrote these things down. It's in the storm where we see God do some of his greatest works. And if you've lived life long enough, you've encountered enough things to know that it's in the middle of difficulty that we see God do great and mighty things, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we, who knows that? Who knows that? Yeah, most of you at least know that. Or this, it's in the hopeless situations where we see, where we see God bring hope. We think all hope is lost. We see God come through and bring hope to a situation that seemed very hopeless to us. Or it's this one that's in the darkest times when we experience God's provision and power. The darkest times whenever we see God, his power come through like we've never seen it before. When we step into situations, instead of running away from these, we see God do great mighty things. Some of you need to do that very thing. Some of you are on that precipice today. You're going, what do I do? Do I step out and run? Or do I have to step into this situation that God's called me into? Do I enter into this very difficult season? Am I willing to go head first into this season and enter into this season that God is calling me into? Right now you're trying to avoid it. My encouragement to you is to step into whatever it is that God's calling you to. Step into this season that God has prepared you for to this point. Step into this season, trusting that he will be with you all along the way. Text goes on and the plot thickens. Verse six says, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand to the fire, his, in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Your kids ever ask you questions you don't want to answer? I, there are three C's that I, I said the, that our kids ask us a lot of time. The classic questions is, uh, where do babies come from, right? That's the classic one that no parent ever wants to answer, right? You know what I'm saying? That's the classic question we get asked. The second one is the college question is, tell me about your college days. Uh, no, so nobody, nobody wants to answer those questions uh, either. Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, you'll have to experience those when you get there. And then the third one is the challenging questions. The classic questions, college questions, and the challenging questions, which become about faith. Hey, what do you believe? Why do we believe this? About feelings, about how we feel about a very specific situation. What about your fears, Dad? What are you afraid of? How does this make you feel, Dad? Those are questions that we get. As your kids get older, they'll begin to ask you those kinds of questions. On the way to Mount Moriah, Isaac asks his dad, he's like, have you got the wood and the fire and the knife? Now, where's the lamb? I, I, I had somebody, somebody bring me these. He's like, look, hey, we got wood. I don't know why you got wood, but we, we've got wood here. And we got a knife. This, this scares me. Where's the lamb? 
I mean, I see everything we've got. We've got everything we need there for the, for the burnt offering. We've got the fire, and we've got a knife that we're going to have to kill the sacrificial lamb. Where's the lamb? What do you say? If you're Abraham, what do you say? How do you answer your son? Where's this lamb going to come from? Abraham answers it, and he says this. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they were both of them together. God will provide the lamb. Honestly, here's the better thing. God will provide, what's the next two words? Look, look at the text on the thing. God will provide what? For himself the lamb, if you're a writer in your Bible, circle for himself. Here's, here's what I want you to know, that Abraham believed wholeheartedly, 100%, that this was God's gig. This was his thing. This was his calling. This was his instruction. This was God's guy's weekend. Uh, this was God having to provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. It was God who called Abraham into this. It was God who called Abraham to uh, take and sacrifice his own son. And it is God who Abraham trusted to provide the lamb for the offering. We are, uh, uh, I've said this before, but we are reformed here at Refuge. And what that means is that we believe that God is the author of everything. Okay, God is in control of literally everything that goes on. There's, there's nothing that happens outside the, the purveyance of God's uh, 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 causing, willing. Uh, God doesn't get surprised by things. God, no, nothing catches God off guard or anything at all. God is uh, sovereign, which means he is in control literally of everything uh, that goes on. God calls people. He equips people. He tests people. He gives people. He provides for people. This is God's gig. Amen? Yeah, and if you didn't say amen, I hope you believe that anyway, okay? This is God's gig, and your life, especially if you are a Christian, your life belongs to him, and he is free to do with uh, what he wants, when he wants, and however he wants, amen? amen. Come on, we, we don't like that sometimes, but the truth is God can do with us what he chooses to do with us. It is God who called you to himself. It is God who calls and equips you into the service that he calls you into. And it is God, it is God to whom you and I are called to serve for the rest of our lives. It is his gig. Um, it is his story. Now, God's not going to call you to sacrifice your son because he's already made the ultimate sacrifice in his son. So he's not going to call you to sacrifice your child to do anything like this in this story that we read in the Old Testament. All these Old Testament stories are types and shadows of something pointing forward to Jesus, okay? Just don't forget that as we talk about these things. So God's not gonna call you to sacrifice your son. But if we're followers of the one true God, he does call us to lay our lives down, to sacrifice your own life, to give up your life for the sake of others, to lay down your life willingly without a fight in service to him and the things that he calls us to do. This is what this passage is really about today, is being willing to give it all up 
for God. Philippians chapter three, verses seven and eight says this. Paul wrote this to the church at Philippi. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. That's what he says. He's like, my life is given over to, uh, to, to God. Because of Jesus, I'm sacrificing my own life. I'm laying my own life down. I'm putting aside everything else for the sake of knowing Jesus. That makes you tracking with me? That's what Paul said in the New Testament. He's going to ask us to literally kill our own son, to literally kill our own selves, but he is saying to, to lay ourselves aside, our lives aside for the sake of knowing Jesus and for the work that he calls us to do. This is one of those foreshadowing texts to tell us the same thing. Text goes on in verse nine. When they came to the place which God called him, Abraham built the altar and laid the wood in order to bet laid uh, the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham, the scripture says this very thing in verse 10. It says, Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So how do you picture it? Do you picture him doing it like this? Do you picture him over his son like this? Do you picture him over his son? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Like this? Yeah, that's right. I'm not going to let this go. I mean, you picture him like this? You picture him with his hand over his, son, over his son with his hand on his neck? At some point, he had his knife that he brought about to slaughter his only son. That's what the text tells us. Verse 11 says this. But the angel of the Lord called to him into heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or anything, do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You know, it's interesting in this text that there's no struggle recorded. There's no struggle. Um, we're, we're, we're not told that Abraham had to chase down Isaac you know, had to uh, uh, put a sleeper hold on him, had to drug him some way to get him to, to lay on the wood. There's no, there's no uh, record of that in this text at all. It seems if, if, as if Isaac was a willing participant. Interesting. Here's an honest question. What carried Abraham through this test? I mean, what carried Abraham through the test? And, and it was a test. I mean, verse 12 says this very thing. Look back at 12. It says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son uh, from me. And, and here's what he says. For now I know. I've tested you. And you have passed the test. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld him from me. Abraham learned that faith in in God's promise mattered. Faith in God's promises mattered to Abraham. Abraham trusted God that in Isaac, he would have many descendants. And Abraham believed this, that even if I sacrifice my son, somehow God's going to bring him back to life. How do you know what he was thinking, preacher? How do you know by reading this text 
that that's what he was thinking. Well, I don't know that from reading this text, but I do know it from reading Hebrews. This is what Hebrews says. Look what it says in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, which is what we're reading in Genesis right now. And this is what it says, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He said, hey, I mean, the guy that I'm about to kill, there's going to be an offspring that's coming from him, and I don't know how this is going to work out. And then 19 in Hebrews says this, he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That's what it tells us in Hebrews. He says, he considered, so Abraham considered that God was able, say able, God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So he was saying, I've already received him back. I've already believed that if I sacrifice him, figuratively, God has already given him back to me. You see that? Before he ever went out, when he was gathering the wood, how could he get up early in the morning and gather the wood? Because figuratively speaking, he's already had his son back. He knew the promise of God. He believed the promise of God. And even if he had to go sacrifice his son, he knew that somehow he would come back. He believed that God would do this very thing. So when Abraham raised the knife, Abraham passed the test. God provided a ram or God provided a sacrifice in Isaac's place. You see that? Look what it says in Um, 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham was obedient to death because he trusted the promise of God. And so this entire story, obviously, like we've said, is a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that would be slain before the foundation of the world, who would fulfill the promise and where a son would be sacrificed. Because there'd be another hill. Where a father would lead his son. Where the son would carry the wood. Where obedience to the Father would be on display. Where a sacrifice would be made. Where a lamb would be slain. See, the story of Genesis obviously points us to Jesus. It points us to the hill called Calvary. It points us to a place where God had led Jesus to be sacrificed. Remember Jesus in the garden? He says, not my will, but yours be done. Where the son would carry the wood, where Jesus would have to carry his own cross. Where obedience to the father would be on display. Where the sacrifice of Jesus would be made. Where the lamb of God would be slain. This time at the cross, the angels don't stop the bloodshed. This time the bloodshed was required. There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. This time the obedience led to death, a willing death. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. Jesus said, I have the authority to lay my life down. And I have the authority to pick it up again. 
This time, God provides the Lamb again, the Lamb of God. Again, as Revelation 13, 8 says, slain from the foundation of the world. What does that mean, preacher? That means that before the world was ever created, the Lamb of God was scheduled to be slain. Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God would be slain on the cross. The Lamb of God, sacrifice for sin, final sacrifice ever needed, where Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, the rest of this text tells us a couple of things, too, that I think are important for us today as we take this text and we go, what do we do with all this? Um, the rest of the text tells us that God went to Abraham and he said, because of your obedience, because I see that you believe me and you trust me, he said, I'm going to multiply you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply your offspring. And, uh, and through his obedience, through this test and this trial and this tribulation, Abraham trusted God and he believed, he believed the promises of God along the way. And in that, there are five things that I believe uh, Abraham uh, was, was, was deemed towards Abraham. One of this was he was approved. He was accepted. He was desired. He was valuable. And he was loved. Five things. Approved, accepted, desired, valuable, and loved. I need you to listen to this. Those are the things that God believed about Abraham. And those are the things that God believes about you if you're in Christ Jesus. First, he believes one, it's your approved. See, whenever you trust in Jesus, God's sacrificed lamb, your identity is like Abraham's, you're approved. Jesus makes you approved, how, preacher? Because his perfect life gets credited to your account, Okay? You're not perfect. You're far from it. We all are. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so that's why we need a perfect Savior on our behalf. The only way that we're approved by God is through the slain lamb. It's through the sacrificed lamb of God. So Jesus makes us approved. Not only that, he makes us accepted. He makes us accepted. You are accepted and better yet, you're now adopted by God through Jesus, and you are now part of God's family. We move, we move out of just knowing about God to knowing God and intimately knowing him because he has adopted us as his sons and daughters. He gives us his name. We, we can bear the name of Jesus as our family name. So we're not only accepted or, or approved, we're accepted. Here's another one. We're desired. God has a desire to know you and has a desire for you to be part of his family. Think about this. Before the foundation of the world, God chose for Jesus to be slain. And because of the sovereignty of God, he chose you if you're in Christ Jesus. Before the world was ever made, he chose you. He desired you to be part of his family. Not only desired, he thinks you're valuable. He values you. You have great an immense value. What did it cost God to have you to be part of his family? Cost, the, cost him his son. God the son laid down his life so that you could be part of the family of God. You are valuable. Not only valuable, but you're loved. You're loved. God, told, God said this over Jesus. He said, this is my beloved 
in whom I am well pleased. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, God so loved you and me, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his Son to the world to condemn the world, so that the world might be saved through him. Familiarity breeds what? Contempt. Which means that our hearts and our minds, as we hear or see something regularly, it moves us toward devaluing that thing. Familiarity moves us toward devaluing something. You listen to me? If you hear something over and over again, it doesn't become quite as important to you. It's not quite as uh, valuable to you anymore because you've just seen it over and over and over again. Some of you, listen, some of you who are listening to me either here in this room or who are listening online now, you've become so familiar with Jesus that you're not impressed by him anymore. Some of you become so familiar with the story of Jesus and the gospel being preached and taught and, and spoken about here, especially in our Southern culture, that you're just not impressed with Jesus anymore. You're not impressed with your salvation anymore. You're not impressed with what God has done for you in Jesus anymore. And that's a dangerous place to be. Do you think Abraham was familiar with God? Of course he was. He was intimately familiar with God. But what did he keep going back to time and time and time again? It wasn't contempt and it wasn't disregard, but trust and belief and blessed assurance. What did he keep saying in this text? God will provide. God will provide. God will provide what we need. God will provide everything we need. And, and, and remember what it said in Hebrews, even if he doesn't, he will provide resurrection. That's what he said. Even if he doesn't do it the thing that, the way he, that I might think that he will, I believe he'll do it in another way because I believe God will provide. Abraham trusted God with his entire life and the life of his son. And you can trust God with your entire life because of the life of his son. Christians, Here's what I need us to do. Trust. Trust God. Believe God. Believe who he is, who he says he is. Follow him. Listen to him. Obey him. Know him. Serve him. That's yours and my call as Christians. And for those of you who are not Christians, for those of you who have not repented and believed, those of you who are just kind of outside the household of faith, doing your own thing, going your own way, cruising through this life, here's what I need you to do. Repent. Turn from your sin. Repent of your sins, which means confess your sins Say that I recognize that I sin against God and I want to turn away from sinning against God and believe that God who did not spare his own son did it to save you. 
receive the salvation that is offered to you today in Christ Jesus. And when you do that, begin to know God and serve God. That's my hope for us. This this big grand story that we just read about Abraham is grandiose, not because Abraham was some big, huge guy. He's just a guy like you and me. But he trusted God. We live lives here in Arlington, Tennessee, Lakeland, here in this Memphis area. We live our lives just kind of going through the motions, giving giving a, a wink and a nod to God. That's not the way the patriarchs, the people that God uses, that's not the way they live. Jesus made a difference in their lives. He should make a difference in your life and my life today. I pray that he does. If he doesn't, let's talk about that. Let's pray about that. Maybe you need to know him. Let me pray for us.